Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. Wade and I are here for another in our Winging It series on the life and thought of Martin Luther. And we've made our way up to uh, the Leipzig debate um, with John Eck. So we're going to kind of set the stage. I will a little bit and then we'll kick it to um, Wade who can just go wherever he wants. So <clears throat> John Eck um, has... He has known Luther before. Uh, it seems that maybe they were even friendly at times. Uh, but now they're going to debate. X is, Eck is going to put himself into a position of being um, a fiery opponent of Martin Luther. Um, this is not, uh, eventually it is not X saying, oh, the Roman Catholic Church has told me to do this. He's telling the Roman Catholic Church more, like, we need to do this and I will be the one who will... Uh, at least write against or <clears throat> try to take on Martin Luther. The debate actually in Leipzig uh, is really uh, Karlstadt and Luther against um, Eck, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But just to kind of set the stage here, you have people going to Leipzig, literally students from Wittenberg are going there, um, and they're college students, and they're maybe a little worked up, and maybe they're a little wild. And maybe at times. And there's, you know, you think of like, there's kind of maybe some rivalries there that um, aren't just theological. Um, um, You can think of this is SEC football with a little bit of theology, theology at the the side of it. And um, so there maybe is going to be just a tad bit of violence. Uh, But there's also going to be a lot of pomp and circumstance. I mean, this is going to be a huge deal. There's going to be a church service. There's going to be a there's going to be politics involved. There's going to be a lot of debates about the debates like we see when presidential debates get going. Um, towards uh, when we get closer to national elections, you have to have the debate about the debate. What are the rules? All that kind of stuff. So this is actually a very, very big deal. I think there's a lot of eyes on Leipzig. Uh, certainly the Pope is interested in this. There's going to be... There's, there's two eyes in Leipzig. Uh, and there's going to be a... Get um, it? I do. And yeah. there's going to be... <clears throat> there's going to be a new elector, or excuse me, a new emperor who's going to be elected actually during this event, I believe the first day of this event. Um, There's going to be notaries involved. This is kind of a big deal. So Wade, um, I'll kick it to you now. And we have uh, this debate in Leipzig between some heavyweights, Karl Stotts involved. Um, You have college students, you got political uh, maneuvering, you have a lot of pomp and circumstance. Um, This is kind of, this is a an election, a speech, a debate, um, college game day, all wrapped in one in Leipzig. Yeah, and um, by all accounts, Luther is going to lose the debate, but it'll be, in the long run, beneficial for him because it really pushes him to further develop some of his thoughts on things. Uh, I mentioned in the last session, and I just want to reiterate, um, as Roper points out, I think helpfully, she says, if the battle with Cayetan had been a tussle with father figures, the disputation with Eck was a battle of brothers, and you brought that out somewhat, Mike, and that they had known each other before. These are fellow academics, um, fellow monastics. Uh, they are equals, um, in a sense. Uh, Eck probably, um, before this, has maybe the more established <coughs> reputation, but Luther has a quickly growing reputation as well. <coughs> and uh, Eck was anything but just a conservative um, by nature, 
um, Eck had been one of the people who had defended Johannes Reuchlin, um, Melanchthon's uh, great uncle. Was it uncle or great uncle? I always mess it up. Um, against uh, the Dominicans uh, and had uh, invited him to come teach where Eck was teaching, which was in Ingolstadt. Um, so it wasn't that he was not open to learning or to uh, some amount of academic <coughs> latitude, but he does find uh, Luther's position problematic, and I think he sees in it also an opportunity, as you, you got at a little bit there, to increase his, his renown, to make a name for himself, um, to really take the opposition to Luther upon himself. He's a volunteer in this yeah, army. As yeah, a, as a fellow German. Um, the debate comes out of X reply to Luther's 95 Theses, which was called the Obelisk. Um, in reply to that, uh, Karlstadt and Kronik produced a, uh, I believe it was a woodcut, but it's a cartoon of uh, um, the uh, of Eck driving a wagon into the fires of hell, um, kind of uh, poking fun at Eck's theology and what they saw as the dangers of it. Um, it's quite an elaborate drawing. But uh, Eck sees Karlstadt, it appears at least, as a way to get to Luther. So... The debate really is set up to be between Karlstadt and Eck, but it's pretty clear um, that Eck really wants to get to Luther. This is kind of if you think someone uh, maybe in the boxing world, maybe they got to have a fight to get to the <coughs> fight that they want. And so um, Eck is going to use Karlstadt as a means to get to Luther, but the debate will begin with Karlstadt. And Karlstadt is a, a very good scholar for his day. But he brings a, a big portion of his library with him. Like 200 uh, books or something? Like a lot, yeah. Set. And as they're debating, he's looking through books for quotations. It's not really like a, a free-flowing, free-form type of debate when Karlstadt is involved. And that's just not going to be Luther's method. And it's not exactly something that's going to win over students or um, political rulers who are watching. Um, it's not uh, – it would kind of be like a fight where, you know, you kind of – keep grasping and hugging to kind of slow down the fight. And uh, and so it's not... Or, or, a, or a, po uh, a political debate where maybe the person says everything right, and but he just doesn't have that thing that, that you just need on the camera. Yeah, it's and like watching Syracuse or Virginia basketball where they just are going to slow down the game, grind it out, and you're like, when does the fun start? And, uh, and so Eck um, and Carl Starter are going to begin uh, debating, and it's not going to... Uh, to go exactly as we maybe would have predicted um, that it would, um, Eck isn't necessarily going to attack at all the places that Luther might have expected or others might have expected. Um, but where he's going to want to get, it becomes pretty clear eventually that his trap is going to be to get Luther to admit um, first, to get Luther to admit that church, the Pope and councils can err, because this isolates Luther. A, admitting the Pope can err, isolates people from uh, Luther from the ultramontanist position, that right, the papacy is supreme. But admitting that councils can err is going to alienate him from the conciliarist, conciliar, conciliarist view, um, kind of the French Gallican view of this, uh, that councils are supreme. And, and to do this, um, kind of the perfect way for, uh, for Eck to do it is going to be to try to associate um, Luther with Jan Hus. Jan Hus was a bohemian reformer. He's known especially um, for saying that the supper should be given in both kinds and for um, advocating for the marriage of priests. 
He was, uh, in the previous century, um, given a safe conduct to the Council of Constance. He was there, declared a heretic, and then burnt at the stake um, with kind of the explanation that you don't have to keep a promise to a heretic. And this looms over Luther, too, when he's given a, a safe conduct to Worms or elsewhere, is that people could um, back out of this promise for all they knew. And the expectation, since Eck had written against Luther's 95 Theses, and that's what had started everything, would be that the debate would have centered on or focused on that. But um, Eck actually concedes a lot to Luther on indulgences, so he really doesn't make that the key point of the debate. I mean, Karlstadt and Eck actually begin by discussing the role of uh, free will, which, which really gets to the role that we can play, um, any agency we can have in our salvation. Um, and when he then begins debating with Luther, he takes it to um, authority in the church, um, authority both of the popes and of councils, and this is where he is going to try to associate Luther um, with Huss. Uh, one last thing, and then I'll throw it back to you, Mike, is where Luther kind of gets himself in trouble, as he will throughout his life. Um, Luther works within extremes. Like, Luther finds tension points, and then he operates from there. That's how he does theology. So he kind of wants to butt up against the sides of stuff and bounce around to kind of find uh, the right biblical position. That does not work so well in debates. Um, and so Luther will be open to things and even be open to making statements that were not exactly safe if he was trying to, if he were trying to avoid getting himself nailed down to anything um, that wasn't what he was saying or associated with something that was perhaps peripheral to the issue, um, Luther's debate style just did not serve him well in doing so. So I guess I'll throw it back to you and then I can pick up later. Sure. I, you know, probably a disputation is probably a little bit more of his, let me prepare something and put it down. Um, maybe his temperament's not the best for a debate. I think I would be a terrible debater, right? You know, uh, it's sometimes it's about winning rather than it's about truth. You, you have to be quick on your feet and, and Luther's quick on his feet, but maybe says things, right? You know, you can see his temperament that he says things that need a little bit more explaining. And I, and I, I wonder if, if he knew this, you know, <clears throat> trying to think about, talk about his frustration with all of these rules, right? Um, and definitely there was this idea that there would be uh, a notary there on both sides that would would accurately put down what this had was to be written judged by because then it was going to be judged and it seems like you know why do you have to have this why does it have to be a winner or a loser why does it have to be judged um and not that luther was necessarily well i don't, don't want to put uh, words in his mouth but i think he's saying listen you're going to send this to paris and guess what they're going to come down on i already know that right well, this kind of is, his view later of a church council like we don't really have to Right. Why Marvel bother? at what they might decide. Right. Bother. You know, you're going to have, so the Pope's going to Pope through the, through these other, um, faculties of universities are, is going to decide what, what the truth is. Now, maybe that's a little bit unfair. I mean, we, we've mentioned that there probably was a little bit more academic freedom than we, than we give credit for. Um, but he's definitely, I don't think, it doesn't seem to be happy with the format. He kind of knows what's already coming. And I think he would always want just an open discussion and that's about not what things. this is i mean we have to understand that yeah this is not just to you get five minutes to talk you get five minutes to talk go where you want to go 
this is we sometimes see with presidential debates where candidates will get flustered with the format. Um, I did debate in high school, and one of the, the fun things was that cross-examination didn't count towards points for the debate, but I always took the strategy if I could make the other person cry during that section, which I did multiple times rather successfully. Um, you really broke them down for the, the later debate, right? But, um, but there's a, a structure to this. There's rules to this. And it's not um, Luther being able to hold forth maybe as much as he might like to otherwise. And it's not going to be Luther being able to play. Uh, there's not a back and forth between he and Eck like, let's work through this and get to something. Mm -hmm. uh, it's definitely being done to score points. Yeah, and that's, I think, probably a frustrating thing. When I look at debates, I think that's a kind of a frustrating thing. Thing. And even the political debates, we always have to say who won, who scored more points. And it, it, part of it is just the design. Part of it is we live in a, we kind of have a zero sum kind of mentality when it comes to a lot of these things. And that's a little bit frustrating. Uh, the two big takeaways, um, and I'm asking you this, uh, Wade, because uh, this is a long debate. I mean, this is multiple days, right? I mean, this is a huge, long thing. Um, and so it's hard to pinpoint just two things, but um, you know, historically, if we could pinpoint a couple things, one is being tied to John Huss. The second is, you know, definitely Luther's now like, don't bother with Karl Stott kind of thing. You know, th this, this is, this is Luther's reformation. And then maybe third, that the argument, the debate was clearly not going to be about indulgences, but about papal authority. And maybe one last thing too is, the doctrine of the of bound choice, the, the question of free will or or um, uh, bound will is always there, right? It's one of the first things they talk about. It's there in the 95 Theses a little bit. It's there in Heidelberg. It's there. It's always there that this is the issue that needs to be finally dealt with. And maybe indulgences are not that important. And so Eck gets off of that. But really, even papal authority is not as important as this one issue. You f you can't get away from from that that question that finally is going to be answered when uh, Luther is going to debate in print um, Erasmus. Yeah, and I think uh, just to to echo that, hopefully, something that's coming out as we look at these early years is going to be the role of free will or bound will um, in our salvation. And Eck realizes that somewhat early on. Um, Erasmus obviously will recognize that fairly early on. And this is not something we're very good at, at talking about in American Lutheranism. So maybe that's just a uh, reminder for us to keep that um, in mind. And anytime we're talking about f uh, free will, then we're talking about original sin um, and, uh, and how that plays in. And I would point you for that just to our uh, three-part episode series we just had where everything kind of kept coming back to that too in, in the series on law as a lens for life. It's also interesting that one of the accusations that Eck levels against uh, Luther in the debate is that Luther's teaching will lead to antinomianism. And this is a, an accusation that's come up throughout history whenever someone um, is too, or when, when someone is bold with the gospel um, and wants to preach gospel as gospel, this is an accusation that will come. And we see that already with Paul. Um, all you have to do is read 1 Corinthians to see how people can misunderstand the gospel um, or to read Galatians and elsewhere for how people can accuse Paul of antinomianism. <coughs> and so it's, 
it's interesting that in the discussions of bound choice, original sin, and then uh, justification, uh, salvation by grace through faith, that these are the type of accusations that come up again and again. Interestingly, one of the things that Hernz uh, Eck, after the debate, is that um, he makes a comment in a letter or something where he talks about the ladies of Erfurt, and it kind of makes plain that he got to know the ladies of Erfurt. And so um, it's always interesting to me this, you know, too, that oftentimes these accusations of antinomianism will come from people who probably aren't doing the best job <coughs> um, of keeping the law um, themselves. And, and the, the Lutheran side, it's anachronistic to call it that at this point, but we'll kind of have fun with uh, um, X uh, possible, um, uh, what's a good Indiscretion. word? Indiscretion. Indiscretions, yeah, his uh, uh, being out on the town perhaps a little bit uh, too much, or, well, probably shouldn't have been at all, in Leipzig. Um, Luther uh, Luther loses this debate when it comes to uh, the fact that Eck achieved his goal, right? Eck associates <coughs> Luther with Huss. He alienates him both from Pope and Council, um, and he gets, he really gets Luther to see a, a blind spot in his theology at this time, where Eck will lose the debate as the debate happens. No one's going to rule at Paris and Erfurt, I think, are the two that are supposed to rule. None of them are going to rule too quickly. I think Erfurt kind of just defers and doesn't give a judgment. I think Paris... Paris seems like Paris was forced to... I want to say that they are kind of forced and they'll say, okay, Eck won. But the debate kind of comes and goes. um, And where we see uh, Luther really excels is Luther gets back and just starts writing. Um... And so the debate kind of gets lost in these flurries, uh, in the flurry of publications that will come from Luther um, in the days and in the year to come. 1520 will just be the year for big treatises from Luther, and we'll be getting into those, but the big three, um, the freedom of a Christian, and then uh, the Babylonian captivity of the church, um, and then to the Christian nobility of the German nation. And so while Luther has a little bit of a setback having lost the debate, this is a setback first maybe perhaps among other academics. But Luther's going to come out and really win the propaganda war. And it wasn't that Eck didn't know how to use the printing press as well. It's just um, it's just he couldn't do it as well. You know, he uh, Eck tends to be a little bit more long-winded, more cumbersome. Um, and you might say, well, I thought Luther was long-winded. But Luther is just able to get these pamphlets out, um, to have them widely disseminated, um, especially through all of his contacts, and so Luther and Karlstadt will kind of, um, without any you know fanfare, leave Leipzig and head home. Um, but Eck kind of, because of his, uh, the reference I'm seeing here was, uh, uh, he commented on Leipzig's quote-unquote women of pleasure. Um, and uh, so Eck kind of leaves uh, a little bit stained morally. Um, it gives kind of to his enemies something to play on. Um, but then also he kind of will lose because it uh, um, Roper has a great line. She says, in the end, X victory did not matter because it was not interesting. And I Wh- think which is part of, part of the printing, you know, the, the pamphlet wars that come later, right? I mean, Luther's going to be more interesting. He's something new. He's something fresh. He's attacking, yeah. And I think that's something for us to keep in mind as we study history, as we study theology, that we not forget that it's not always just the message, but it's the ability to resonate with, to reach people. Um, and that's where Luther's just going to be 
more interesting. Not only is Luther going to be advocating for things that, that you and I, Mike, would hold to be biblically true, um, but Luther's just going to be a more interesting person. In fact, if the debate ha did, hadn't had the rules it had, Luther probably would have been more interesting in the debate as well. Um, but Eck is just not going to be able to match um, match uh, Luther's um, charisma. Yeah, 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 as he leaves Leipzig. Um, you know, the Leipzig debate is held in Leipzig. This is enemy territory. It's the territory of Duke George. Um, Duke George certainly wanted a victory for Eck. Um, he gets his victory for Eck, but it just won't mean um, what he wants it to mean. He will write to um, several princes. He'll write to elector, uh, the elector of Saxony and, and point out Luther said these problematic things. But it's just in the end not going to do much, and it's not going to be much of a, a setback for Luther. Um, but I would say, to take back to what we have mentioned, the big things will be Luther, you know, kind of says, you know what, maybe Huss wasn't wrong about everything. Maybe Huss was onto something. Um, he will concede, um, not only concede, but maybe rather gladly assert um, that popes and councils can err. Um, the role of free will and salvation will be fleshed out some. Um, but mostly, this will be another push point for Luther, which drives him to dig even more theologically and to unpack stuff. And almost all of these confrontations have that effect. Um, Luther has them, then he ruminates a little, and then he usually has an extremely productive period um, where he will build off what happened. And this is where we've said before, Luther was not a systematic theologian. He didn't sit down and write dogmatic books, but he was an occasional theologian in that he wrote based on occasions that, that came up. Um, Act will remain a fierce opponent of Luther and uh, the re Reformation that springs out of that. Um, Act will be largely responsible for the confutation um, at the Diet of Augsburg, which is just a document that even the Catholics end up uh, rather ashamed of or unimpressed with. In fact, they won't. Um, give it to the Lutherans in a way that the Lutherans can engage it. Um, thankfully, Melanchthon was kind of renowned for being great at taking notes. And between Melanchthon's notes and the notes of other people who were present when the confutation was presented, they, in essence, had the, um, the content of the confutation to react to, which leads to the apology of the Augsburg Confession. Um, it just doesn't help, too, that X last name is, like, great for coming up with words that mock him. Um, you know, Drek, which is kind of uh, like a garbage. Um, Ek also means corner, and so they play on Ek hanging out in the corners with the ladies, the women of pleasure. Um, but what this will do too then is with Karlstadt and Kronik's, um cartoon of Ek, and then with the back and forth propaganda about Ek and Luther afterwards, is it really will set off, give the tone to the later polemics war that will develop. You'll have Luther pictured as a seven-headed monster. Um, you'll have uh, Luther's opponents given nicknames and pictured in various ways. And this really sets the stage for a realization on both sides that you're not, you're not going to win through an academic debate. Um, in fact, you're probably not even going to win through a church council, and we'll see Trent's failure to really change things much. Um, you're going to win by appealing to the people. Um, the people in the pews through preaching, but also people um, who are reading or looking at, at pictures. 
And so I think that's a, an important outflow of um, the Leipzig debate as well. And coming up, April 6th is Lutheran Artist Day in the church here, by the way. We remember yeah. Chronic and, and Durer uh, as well. Um, <clears throat> just going back to that idea of um, the universities making a judgment, I did find the accurate thing there that uh, under pressure from Duke George, Paris finally condemned uh, Luther's writings, but not until 1521 by that time who cares and everybody had forgotten about yeah it. and so uh, cologne and louvain um did publish uh some condemnations on some of luther's statings uh, uh statements excuse me um that was finally published in the beginning of 1520 but again we're on to we're starting to get into more important things too and just just kind of that set the political stage too um at the end of this this debate happens um in early july late june you have um the election of Charles the first of Spain to be Charles V, the emperor. So kind of a blow to the Pope a little bit, although Charles V is going to be somewhat of a dutiful servant to the church in a lot of ways. Um, and uh, John Tetzel is going to die a little bit after this too. And so there's definitely a shift and you start to think as, as an historian, you kind of look back and, and you see these. Every time you say an historian, I think you're saying an historian. An historian. Like the heretic um, historian uh, you have, you look at these little debates with Luther or these, these people that he have, he's come across. And so Tetzel, Cayetan, Eck, and in a lot of ways he leaves them in his wake, right? I mean, X, X, no dumb, dumb. He's still going to be a very, very powerful opponent, but, um, in history of, of Lutheranism. And when we look at the Reformation, Eck becomes definitely a, um, He's on the stage now, but then he's he's a secondary character from now on. Um, uh, Karlstadt comes on the stage. He's gonna he's gonna have his say in in the next couple of years, and then he's gonna kind of fade away a little bit. And and there is this force here, this tour de force of of the Reformation, really backed by Martin Luther. And it's not just because we're talking about Martin Luther, but it really is. He is this force that is going going forward, and a Reformation in his wake. Um, it is kind of amazing when you think about it that, and, and when I hear, oh, and then John Tetzel died, you're like, just, you know, we were just, John Tetzel was this huge figure right now, and now he's gone, um, and a lot of ways beaten, and maybe even beaten down by Luther, and that's another thing to take away is <clears throat> Luther did know how to win these, these propaganda wars. I mean, he really, he really took down Tetzel. Um, in some ways, he did took, take down Eck, not as, not as powerfully, um, you know, he was pushed up against one of his own, Karlstadt, and, and he did win that. Um, you can think of later Agricola. You can think of uh, Zwingli, speaking of making people cry in debates, right? You know, I mean, th this really is a powerful, powerful person and a powerful movement. And it's something not necessarily to admire, um, but to wow at and, and see this, this really fantastic historical moment. Yeah, and it's interesting, maybe just one last thought, too, because we talked about Melanchthon not too long ago. It's interesting uh, um, from some of the correspondence, and I've not read the correspondence myself, but it seems that Melanchthon was really picking up on what was developing, too, um, as he sees some of the claim, or what Luther is saying and where things are going, um, that he gets exactly where Luther's going to be accused now and what some of this means. Um, but just to go back to, because, uh, you know, well, if you read any of my work, you know uh, I'm not necessarily critical of Melanchthon, but uh, the people I study w certainly were. And uh, 
he doesn't jump off the train, right? But this is a for all of those in Wittenberg, this is kind of an eye-opening event for realizing more and more the trajectory of where this theology is taking them, right? And and all of us have that happen in life where you start to realize the implications of a realization you've had or of a position you hold. And certainly... It doesn't come all at once. Eck points that out. You are a Hussite. You are a Hussite. And first Luther's like, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then he gets to know more of them. He's like, well, maybe I am. am." And and that that this Wittenberg circle, um, kind of the commitment they have to Luther that there's not... As these events keep happening and it keeps becoming clearer and clearer that this is a uh, a train that has momentum in a certain direction, uh, there's not a lot of people jumping off. Now, Karlstadt's going to take that train off the tracks a bit later, um, but I think to recognize the support that he had of the Wittenberg Circle that um, there's not many who give up on him because of this. Yeah, so I don't know if you have anything just nope, on this Leipzig more. debate. The, this is July 1519. As you said, we're historically going to take a little bit of a, of a break here. Luther's going to think, he's going to write, he's going to teach. Um, but 1520 is going to be a very, very big year. And I think the next time we meet, we'll probably just get an overview of the 1520. There's going to be some news from Rome that's going to come. There's some political and theological things that are going to come from Rome. And then um, we'll see how how much we can get done and i think we can i'm hoping that we can get 1520 historically into one episode yeah and i think set the stage for the treatises and then, and then we'll take the treatises yeah. individually and then and then we'll come back to historically uh we'll be at 1521 in in a month or so where we where we're going to talk about the diet of firms and so we're making some headway yeah and i just you know if um i hope listeners realize it's going to get real fun with these three treatises they're all very momentous treatises in their um, they really are going to um, set the stage for everything that follows. So we will be taking a little time to look at each of those. Um, and I think uh, I think you'll benefit um, from at least having to think through with us a little bit the key messages and themes of em- and emphases of these writings. Absolutely. So we hope that you will join us next time for a historical view of 1520 and then come back again for those uh, three early treatises. Until then, Wade, what should they do? Um, I would say if you go to Leipzig, stay away from the the women of pleasure and uh, otherwise let the bird fly.